This is a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations with host Leah Lem. COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. Anine, hello. I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech, and thank you for joining me for an in-depth conversation exploring how Indian country in Minnesota is responding and adapting to the current pandemic. And today on the show, we're taking time to celebrate the gifts community members share to help others stay healthy and get through this time of distancing and making all these adjustments. And we'll take a listen back to a few of the many voices who have joined me on Community Conversations as we close out this run of discussions. And later on, we'll hear from Madonna Peltier-Yawaki, who is the president of Turtle Island Communications. And they do consulting with mostly tribes to improve broadband services. And joining me now today here to recognize our time together is reporter and ally, Melissa Townsend. Hey, Melissa. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hi, Leah. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm doing great today. It is sunny. Oh, nice. It's not sunny here, but oh. I will <laughs> let me let me reach my hand through and just like absorb some of the sunshine there from you the go. screen. There you go. <laughs> So we've spent the last five months or so hearing from folks around Minnesota who are working to help their communities through the pandemic. Has there been anything that you're particularly moved to reflect on today? You know, yeah, I was thinking about this and I think so many people we've talked to have shared the work that they're doing. They've stepped up their work. They moved online or they stepped back to parent or take care of loved ones. But everybody shared that they do have moments where they get overwhelmed mm -hmm. or feelings of anxiety or stress or anger or loneliness or triggered early trauma just becomes overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, and I just find it's powerful to share that experience because it's not just one person. It's so many people and we have that in common. And then people shared ways to deal with it, right? Go outside, take deep breaths, get grounded, look at the sun. So I just found a lot of... Um, I was just really inspired by people who shared those stories and strategies on how to deal with those overwhelming feelings. So I'm really taking that away for myself. Yeah, because life still goes on. We're still, you know, getting up every day, mm. you know, maybe putting on clothes, maybe pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> maybe brushing teeth. <laughs> Hopefully brushing teeth. And we're all going through at least this overarching shared experience. Uh, not not everybody has the same, you know, not everybody's in the same positions in it, but it's a good time to talk about it and put it all out there because I feel other times, you know, pre-pandemic, a lot of us are oftentimes just blazing through, just zooming through life and, and paying attention a little less to those little things that, that we should face or that we should um, acknowledge and try to work through. So it's been a trauma, but also a healing. Yeah, there's such opportunity for healing right now. There really is. Yeah. And, and today on the show, we're going to hear from a couple of folks who are helping out with their communities still and um, kind of going above and beyond and in what their work is 
and how they can still help through the pandemic. So one of the many people we talked to was Shoshana Kraft, and she's from the White Earth Nation and works a lot with parents and especially new parents. And she helps mothers and babies learn the importance of mother's breast milk and how to nurse. So it's hard when distancing is needed, but Shoshana kept helping families both in person with lots of precautions and online. I currently meet with my families virtually and then uh, we visit and we actually can visually see each other and talk with each other and joke with each (laughs) other and (laughs) the other thing is that we text we text our families um, and talk to them and support them um, and remind them and ground them just to remember to use our tobacco and to remember to that we have ceremonies and just just reminding them The other way is with my Indigenous Breastfeeding Support Circle. We meet twice a month on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month. And we encourage families to come on and um, talk about what's what's going on. We have a check-in and we have, we do a virtual smudge. We smudge in our own spaces, which is pretty important for for all natives that are aware of that. And then with our virtual meetings, I, I got a small grant and have sent out care kits to our families. Um, I've sent out coloring kits. I've sent out leather and materials to make um, tobacco pouches and little belly button bags. So that's kind of important mm-hmm. to keep your hands busy, to keep your mind busy, to focus on Doing something constructive Mm -hmm. is taking a step away from the stressors of the world. Yeah, that's a great idea. I like that idea. So yeah, you can you can hear me there acknowledging and (laughs) enjoying what she has to say and how there's still with the indigenous breastfeeding support circles still using medicines, utilizing medicines uh, with one another, even though it's virtual. Um, and doing those healing activities with coloring and creating, uh, keeping the hands busy. So I, I thought that was really wonderful for wonderful use of gifts uh, to share with the community. Yeah, I just, you know, when she mentioned belly button bags, it just reminded mm-hmm. me of my babies when they were infants and their little belly buttons. And, oh, it's just nice to think about new life in that and the tiny babies during this time. That's so scary. I don't know. Just that image is so sweet. <laughs> yeah. It also makes me think about how much can we stand to go virtual and, and how important it is and also how much more we do yeah. it now. I also want to hear from somebody who is helping folks go virtual with their learning. Uh, Kim Dixon is from the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe and is the Learning Center Director at the Leech Lake Tribal College. And Kim chatted with me a couple weeks ago, and here's what she had to say. What we're doing is we're offering still tutoring services. We have something called Monday Drum, which we host through Zoom every Monday. And so it's like all of us kind of getting together it's, it's just a good way to start start our week. And then uh, we do like our pipe ceremony on the first Monday of the month. And it's just a place where all of us kind of share out what's happening in, in a, a place for our students to go to get information of what's happening for the week. 
mainly a lot of the students either want to talk on the phone, do a Zoom meeting, or even through Facebook Messenger. I did some extended hours, even weekend hours, just to make it easier for them because we service probably six or seven different school districts in our medium age of our students is 29. So a lot of our students are parents. Kim mentions the median age of students is 29. She she continued to talk about how a lot of students at Leech Lake Tribal College are also parents. So they have a lot of different needs as far as internet needs. <laughs> so like they need to be online as well as their students or well as their kids who are also students. So it can be kind of like a um, traffic jam, yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, when it comes to internet use or even device use. So they at Leech Lake Tribal College, they also had Chromebooks available and helped their students get connected to the internet. That reminds me of a conversation I had with Rizal Agatone Howes and his mother, Sarah. They are Anishinaabe and they live on the Fond du Lac Reservation. And I want to play you this first clip from Rizal because he's talking about having so much fun with his family and that hanging out with his family during the pandemic has been kind of amazing. I pretty much spend the entire day with my family. That's always fun. We go hiking a lot. Really? Tell me about that. We went um, backpacking on the SHT, which is the Superior Hiking Trail, over in Silver Bay. And yeah, we have backpacked most of the day, and then we camped there for about a day, and we came back. Oh, wow. That sounds cool. We went to this one overlook on the way there, and it was, it was super beautiful. You could just see the forest as far as you could look, and right below us was the lake um, that we were camping near, so that was, that was really cool. You know, it's funny because um, I follow Sarah Agatone House, Rizal's mom, on Facebook, right? And so she's posting questions like, how do you camp outside? How do you go backpacking? Who's got backpacking equipment, right? And then I hear from Rizal and I'm like, I know how much work went into that backpacking trip. (laughs) (laughs) Backpacking and hiking, especially if you're, you know, camping, that's a big undertaking. I know. Superior Hiking Trail, I, I got to give it a little plug, is an amazing place, one of my favorite places, and was definitely inspiration in me wanting to move up north. And then this second clip is from Rizal's mom, Sarah Agatone House. And like I said, you know, I can see on Facebook that she's doing all this planning and thinking and a fair amount of worrying about her two children. I want them to have the best life possible and be a part of everything, but there's something just deep in me that feels like we have to protect them as much as we can right now. So I think it's that part of just worrying they're going to miss out on something and then be sad that they missed it. Yeah. I mean, asking about how it's going, it all sounds very positive. And maybe that's because the adults are shouldering the anxiety. <laughs> and, I, you know, I think it would be different if um, I had to be on Zoom all day or something, you know, like some of my friends have to beyond these Zoom calls for eight hours, I think our life would be very different. And you can hear her point out the difference between her situation where she can step away from work and she can homeschool her kids full time and her friends who can't do that because they have work.
You're listening to a special edition of Minnesota Native News, COVID-19 Community Conversations, supported by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Health. I'm Leah Lem. Today, we're taking time to look back on how we're helping one another get through the pandemic. And with me today is reporter and ally Melissa Townsend. As you heard earlier, a lot of us are very dependent on the internet, even making this show right now. (laughs) So to make radio, to do schoolwork, work, people go to church online and have family get-togethers. So there's really this high demand for internet and high-speed internet. Yes. And as most of us know, internet access is not distributed equitably across the country. There are real challenges in rural and tribal lands. I talked with an incredible woman about her work consulting with tribes and building broadband networks on tribal lands. She recognizes the digital divide, as we all have heard, but she is focused on the opportunities that we have today. So this is a bit of my conversation with Madonna Peltier-Yawaki. I want to start by just introducing yourself. First of all, thank you, Melissa, for inviting me to talk with you. I know you have an audience that may reach people in the areas that we're working in, so um, I appreciate this very much. My name is Madonna Peltier-Yawaki, and I am president of Turtle Island Communications, and we do engineering and technical consulting, primarily to tribal nations throughout the United States to improve broadband services on their lands. And oftentimes what that's led to is establishing their own companies and building out wireline or wireless infrastructure to improve services throughout their tribal lands. You know, we talk about the digital divide, the lack of broadband in rural areas. I feel like we've talked about that for so long. Sometimes people become numb to those words. And especially with COVID, when almost everything has gone online. (laughs) I mean, I tried to buy a computer. It's like, you have to go online. I was like, but I don't have a computer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good luck with with that. (laughs) I know. I just really wanted to make it alive for people about how important this is, you know? Yeah. Well, it's kind of my nature to not stay in the problem, but try to find a solution. You know, we have Mm. the brain power. We have the capabilities, and that really is a good way to not have to just live with some a situation that is really detrimental to so many people, you know, like our children um, with education, our parents and elders, they have health issues. And as um, working age people, we um, need access to the internet to do our jobs. It's so relevant, and we just need to be uh, mindful to know that there's solutions to address a lack of infrastructure. Yes. So when it comes to tribal sovereignty and broadband and internet access, what happens when a carrier does not consult appropriately with the tribe? What I've seen is that a lot of these companies don't treat tribal governments as a government. They treat the tribal lands as potential subscribers. When you enter a tribe's jurisdiction, there should be communication, there should be a meeting and discussion about what you propose to do um, in terms of your broadband plans if you're a company and um, locations that you're identifying as building out. And some of these companies, because they receive federal cost supports, they should adhere to the requirements to presenting them with mapping and 
that type of data so that tribes can actually see something tangible about their plans. What we see is that companies place middle mile infrastructure through a reservation without actually a plan to deploy last mile, which are those real final connections to getting to homes, kind of just passing through their lands rather than making those investments to connect people there. And so they'll put that in the ground, but then they don't actually do the work to connect individual households or communities. Yep. Yep. I think the coronavirus really laid bare the lack of service on tribal lands with need for parents and family members to start to learn remotely and the challenges of learning if you don't even have access to broadband. Mm -hmm. And someone was just sharing a story with me about And this is a story that probably happens often, but you don't necessarily hear about it a lot. But their uh, mother had to live in a headquarter community of this particular tribe and she couldn't move home, which would be about maybe 25 miles from that headquarters because she was on a heart monitor and she didn't have services at home that would enable her heart monitor connection to the hospital to stay intact. And those are probably more common than we know. Yeah, for sure. Can you give me a picture with all the federally recognized tribes that have land? How many have broadband? Do you know that? Do we know that? The FCC has data on tribal lands and every year they put out a a broadband deployment report. Okay. And the statistics on that don't really tell the full story to in my mind i was i was looking through some of the fcc reports and i came across one from 2010 but it was basically said like things are not good and it doesn't look like they're going to get good anytime soon we really lack access in rural areas and tribal areas um but then reports in 2016 and 2020 are like we've made great strides you know massive numbers of people have been added to broadband and it's it's going to increase even more. In this area, you have to ask if these federal agency reports are accurate. Yeah. Does that sound accurate to you based on what you see on the ground? Well, I think on tribal lands, it's piecemeal. If you're looking at a tribal land area and you have a service provider operating in one in the northeast corner, one operating the southwest corner, they're operating and providing services differently. But I'm looking at data from the 2020 FCC broadband deployment report, and it says that 72.3% of tribal lands have access to broadband at speeds of 25.3, and 77.7% of rural Americans have access. In contrast, 98.5% of the U.S. population in urban areas has access. So those are the latest statistics but you asked about their accuracy. The federal government is going through a process right now, recognizing that the data that exists is based on service providers reporting. They have to report twice a year about their services in their areas, and that information isn't always accurate. So rather than having those companies self-report, what is going to most likely transition or how this is going to look is not going to be based on self-reporting, but more on shapefiles, geolocation specific. Got it. Now in Minnesota right now, in northern Minnesota, they're doing a speed test. They're asking people to voluntarily 
um, sort of log in and then this mechanism will, I guess, record how fast their internet is. Is that one of the ways to get more granular data? It is. And it's actually probably the only way at this point to get more granular data. And then you have um, an opportunity to compile that data with an effort to challenge the maps that exist both at the federal and the state level. You know, I know this the speed test in Minnesota is ongoing, but I was just looking on the Boys Fort Reservation and, you know, there are different color-coded dots, right? So there's green dots, red dots, black dots. Green dots are like, this is high-speed internet. Black dots is there's no internet. And this is happening on one small reservation that you can have all of that. Typically where those the broadband is, would be in our hospitals, our tribal government centers, our clinics, what they call critical anchor institutions. Kind of that's a definition in the industry of what those are. Those locations were um, required to be served for companies that, that got federal funding like several years ago. So it doesn't surprise me that you'd see um, the dots showing someplace that's served, but typically the areas that aren't served are the residential areas. That's why it behooves a tribe to have a tribal-centric broadband plan where it's not left to a service provider to define what they're going to get, but it's a plan for based on the tribe's needs that will be deployed. Just like the state of Minnesota has those standards, and it's up to these companies to, you know, to, to work to meet those standards. Several tribes that we've worked with now are operating broadband systems. It's employing people, the people who work in these companies have obtained those skills and are getting more training in the areas as this industry evolves. So it's like, it's happening. And I like those stories. I I like that. Here's a solution. Here's another solution. And here's what this tribe did. So that digital divide, in my mind, it looked like a digital opportunity for tribes. Is that difficult to do? Is that a lot of this is utility type work, like a water system? It's getting water to everybody, electricity to everybody. It requires engineers. An engineer's mind is to create systems with the funding to implement those systems and get them operational, and so that those communities could enjoy those systems. One of the things that I observed, I grew up on Turtle Mountain Reservation and kind of had like a family that was involved in tribal government. Typically, tribes have access to engineers through Indian Health Service, civil engineers that do water and wastewater, or water and sewer. And then they have engineers through the Bureau of Indian Affairs that do road systems. And there was never um, a federal designated engineer to assess um, telecom or broadband, and there was never one to assess electricity. Hmm. So federal resources enabled tribes to to have those water and sewer systems and roads. I would say like in the last 10 years, that that's some 10, 15 years, it's something that tribes have started to do is to um, recognize that they need an engineering perspective and someone who understands tribal communities. I'm talking about how governments operate and rec- recognizes that and respects that. Yes. You know, I do want to ask you a sensitive question. I mean, do you think racism plays a role here? Um, I, I worked in the industry. I worked in this telecom industry since 1991. I worked for a large corporation that operated in um, 14 states. And even from my peers back then, and it wasn't all of my peers, but just the misunderstandings about 
tribal communities wanting access to voice services at the time. In one of our dealings, the tribe that we were working with, they met with the company that operated there. And that company made a statement about the people that live here really like long distance. They pay a lot for it a month. So you should consider that in your revenue stream. Oh. Yeah. The misunderstanding is the only way that they could um, have access beyond their little local calling area to place calls to their hospitals, government centers, was long distance. Mm. So it wasn't a matter of liking long distance. It was a matter of needing it. What happened as a result of that project over time is that the local calling area became reservation-wide. So changes can be made. And then about broadband, I think that tribes haven't told their stories about their interactions. It almost could become a book of compilation of stories, but it's it would take time when really the time should be spent on creating a broadband plan so that they're <laughs> going to take action to correct a situation that is detrimental to their people. What are, I mean, the stories that you're saying that we shouldn't take time for, but I just want to take a minute for Yes, yes. In terms of interactions like that, where it's like, wow, we can charge a lot of money for long distance. Let's just keep long distance. And to me, it's like disbelief because, of course, those tribal members that live within that reservation didn't want to use long distance. They wanted local calling throughout their reservation. And it ended up where the tribe now owns a commercial-based wireless system that we provided the engineering and technical consulting for. Oh, that's amazing. So where those services don't exist and there's a void, that's the opportunity for a tribe to take that action, to do something different and possibly to do this themselves, to start companies, employing their people, providing the service, really adding to their economic development base. That really sounds like the ultimate act of sovereignty. I agree. I agree. It's not relying on someone to fix something that they had an opportunity to change for years and didn't. It's making a plan and doing something tangible and showing results that benefit everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so exciting. You know, I mean, there's so many ways tribes provide for their citizens. Um, and Internet can be one of those. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So once again, how can we help one another, especially in a pandemic when everybody needs Internet? Uh, It's such a significant um, tool Mm -hmm. for everybody to be able to connect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. Melissa Townsend for sharing your conversation with Madonna Peltier-Yawaki. It was really cool to hear. Thanks, Leah. And thank you for all the hard work on this show for the past 22 episodes. My pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, see ya. Bye. Bye. And thank you for listening today. We're seeing more and more opportunity to assess our daily lives and adapt to the pandemic. Things are changing all the time. And we get to look at what's important to us and what matters most. And most of those things that are important involve connecting with people. So I'm glad you've shared this time with us today. And thank you to our engineer, Justice Sanchez, and project manager, Aaron Warhol, and to all those who lent their voices and stories to COVID-19 Community Conversations. 
though COVID-19 Community Conversations is coming to a close, we will be continuing to hear from Native folks talk about their gifts and finding their purpose on Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org. That's mnnativenews.org. And on our podcast stream. Miigwech, and I wish you health. I'm Leah Lem. Minnesota Native News Special Edition COVID-19 Community Conversations is supported by the Minnesota Department of Health.